Hi, I'm a ring historian and writer, author Lou Eisen, and welcome to Ring Talk this Sunday afternoon. And we're going to talk about the July 16th, 1926 fight between Canadian-born Jack Delaney and his, he was challenging worldwide heavyweight champion Paul Berlenbeck. And the fight took place at Ebbets Field. There were 50,000 people in attendance. This was an interesting fight and an, an, an endlessly fascinating decade of which hundreds of books are still being written about. Um, he had fought, Delaney had fought Ber Berlenbeck uh, three times previously, stopped him twice, and then lost a unanimous decision the first time he challenged for the title. But uh, Berlenbeck was lucky to retain his title because Delaney had him hurt and ready to go. He just couldn't pull the trigger on it. Um, this took place in the 20s. Uh, in 1919, the year Jack Dempsey beat Jess Willard for the world heavyweight title, the United States did one of the dumbest things in its history. It passed the Volstead Act, which didn't come into effect in until 1920, and that meant prohibition. So because of a minority, you can't legislate morality, because of a small minority of, of right-wing religious zealots, uh, selling booze publicly was banned. Now, this was an incredibly myopic, stupid move for one reason in particular. Why the government just decided to give up tens of billions of dollars each year in tax revenue. And of course, that, that catapulted into other problems, which resulted in the Great Depression. You know, the money, people were buying money on credit and selling stuff on credit never really actually had the money. And I don't want to get into a whole financial thing here, but it started off with the Volstead Act. But it didn't mean people didn't drink. People still, you know, it, it was the best thing to ever happen to gamblers and, and gangsters and mobsters who controlled boxing from Jack Dempsey on. Why did they do that from Jack Dempsey on and not before? Because Dempsey signaled big money. And they weren't, you know, the mob wasn't interested when a guy was making 30 or 3,300 or 1,500 a fight. But when Dempsey's drawing gates of 2 million or more, then the mob was like, we got to get a piece of this. So along comes Jack Delaney. His real name was Ovilla Shap Delane. That's how he got his ring name. Delane, anglicized it to Delaney. And from the, what I read from Shap to Jack, uh, he was born in, in uh, Quebec, St. Francis, Quebec, but his family migrated first down to Holyoke, Massachusetts. And then they moved on to um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is why he later became known as the Bridgeport Adonis. His nickname, Delaney's nickname was Bright Eyes. He, he was a good looking young man who could fight and women went berserk over him. He was really the first sex symbol of of the age of boxing back then. If Clara Bow was the it girl in silent film, then he was the it boy uh, as a professional athlete. And so what happened with um, him is he starts his career out early on, 1919, and he his family had moved uh, from Quebec down to the States. And I would suspect that they probably moved at start of or just before the start of world war one and as i mentioned several weeks ago lou briard 
French Canadians, and rightly so, saw the First World War as an English conflict. It didn't involve them, and they had no allegiance to the British crown. So although they were still getting drafted, so they thought, why should we go and die in Europe for a war that has nothing to do with us? We gain nothing if we win. You know, so a lot of French Canadians moved down. There was a big migration to the States, and Connecticut not being too far away, that's where the um, Chapdelaine family ended up. Um, so his his parents, Rosilda and uh, his father, they uh, they took him down there and he started school down there and, and he, he did all sorts of factory jobs and he started to get involved in boxing. And at a young age, 16, 17, he sprouted up to 5'11 and a half. The problem with Delaney through most of his career was he, he really never weighed more than 166 or 168 for a fight, usually around 158 to 166. Later on, when he moved to heavyweight, he gained more because he was an alcoholic and he wasn't training. The thing with Delaney is Delaney doesn't really fit into any boxing category, right? He's too he's too heavy to be a middleweight, so it's it's straining his it's straining his drama his stamina to actually fight at 158 or 160. So he's fighting most of his fights 164, 165, 166, and at that point, he's no longer a middleweight. He's got to start fighting light heavyweight. So he's fighting guys that are 175. And he's beating them. And he's beating them because physically he's as big as them, if not bigger. But also he's a smart fighter. He had the best left hand in boxing in the 1920s. He had a tremendous thudding jab. It was very quick. He had lights out power in both hands. He put his punches together in combination. But more than being able to punch in combination. And he was very quick. He had educated feet, superb lateral movement. He could hit you and get out of the way. He was a master of angles. Uh, but more than being able to throw quick punches in combination, each of those punches, he was able to manage somehow to get full leverage on them. So he was not a man to be trifled with. Some guys will throw five, six, seven, eight punches, and you'll see in a fight that one of the, the other boxers is blocking them and catching them on his elbows you know, with gloves. That wasn't the case of Delaney. When he threw those shots, he landed almost all of them. And in fact, when he fought Berlin back uh, in their first fight, which was a classic, uh, and he knocked him out in four rounds on, on uh, March 13th, 1924 at Madison Square Garden, uh, they said that, uh, one writer wrote that Berlin back's head was bobbing up and down, you know, like a cork in the water. So, Someone else likened it to a tetherball. I mean, Delaney was just teeing off on him. He was just too quick. You know, big man and just too much hand speed for most of the other fighters and, and too much power. And you look at the guys he beat. I mean, he beat Tommy Loughran, the future light heavyweight world, world champion. Loughran, Tommy Loughran, L-O-U-G-H-R-A-N. Look him up. You can see film of him. He's still considered today to be the best defensive fighter ever to have lived. More than Ali, more than Sugar Ray Robinson, more than Jack Johnson. This is a guy who was 5'10, 175 pounds, and took on Primo Carnera, who was who was 6'6, 280, and gave away all that height and reach and still came within a round or two of actually beating him.
although it was a fixed fight because the mob controlled Carnera. And Delaney got in there and just beat the hell out of him. Delaney was quick. He he didn't give Lochran a chance to back up and, and establish a distance to get his shots off. You know, this was a guy who was was taller than just about everyone he fought. And you would think that he could use his height and reach advantage and fight from a distance. He didn't do that. He leapt in and just smothered his opponents. And as I've always said, as Angel Dundee said to me, height and reach advantages mean nothing unless you know what to do with them. So when you look at the fight last night, let's say between uh, Matias and Ponce, uh, great, great fight. But uh, Ponce didn't use his height and reach advantage. He tried to fight Matias's fight, and which is what cost him. So this is the 1920s. This is the jazz age. And, you know, we have Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington with these completely new sounds. Louis Armstrong, who invented American popular music. And we have all the speakeasies. And, of course, the, the, the mixing of boxing, jazz, baseball, the mob, booze, illegal booze. It, you know, it, it was, it, they were made for each other. The, one of the problems of Jack Delaney, of course, was, now here's an interesting thing. When Delaney got married in 1923 to Helen, um, he, his management told him never to mention it or talk about his marriage or home life in public. Never. And there's a reason for that. Uh, a, a good 65, 70% of all the fans that came to see him were women. He was a sex symbol, Delaney. And women threw themselves at him. They would flash him at fights. They would throw their underwear and their bras at him. It was madness. And he was a notorious drinker and a notorious womanizer. He never met a chorus girl. He didn't like. So they said he could walk along Broadway from one end to the other and name three or four women in each production that he had slept with. Did his wife know? I don't know. But, you know, he Delaney was as great as he was without focusing all his attention on his prize fighting career. Paul Berlenbach, who was of German descent, was actually a wrestler, a great college wrestler and a professional wrestler but then realized you could make a lot more money in boxing. So he could fight. He was a, a very good puncher, but he had almost no defense. He came in face first. And against a guy like Delaney, who, you know, who had an amateur pedigree, you can't beat a guy with an amateur pedigree, and who was a skilled boxer, anyone that rushes in face first is just going to get cut to ribbons. So they have their, their um, first fight. And in the first fight, you know, they're doing well. And Delaney goes down several times. He slipped. They keep saying he slipped. Everything you read about the fight uh, in every publication, various books, online, history journals, they say that Delaney goes back to the corner, his own corner, moving backwards, slipped. And he did this three or four times. I think it was sort of a code for saying he went and took a knee on purpose. But that's a smart thing to do. There's nothing against that. You can't, there's no rule that says you can't do it. There was a rule in bare knuckle boxing that said you couldn't do that, but he did do it and it was smart. And he said later on, he was getting his, he banged a lot by Berlin back who had really heavy hands and 
He said, I'd rather go down and take a knee and lose the round than st stand up and get knocked out. And that's what happened. He kept taking a knee. And then, you know, after the third round, he's composed himself. He's clinched him. He's taken two or three knees. He comes out and he just swarms Berlin back. And he just drops him repeatedly to the canvas. And finally, Berlin back gets up after the fourth knockdown and he falls he's almost he's falling face first to the canvas the referee grabs him and it scored a fourth round knockout and no one had any no one disagreed you know Berlin back was out delaney was the better fighter delaney fought a who's who of great boxers great light heavyweights he fought the uh, a Mike McTeague, who held the World Light Heavyweight title twice, knocked him out twice. He beat Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum in a in a uh, by a decision. He knocked out future middleweight champ and the Conqueror twice. A very grab Tiger Flowers knocked him out twice. Actually, he knocked him out in the second round. Now in their next fight um, at Madison Square Garden, a riot was about to erupt. Uh, Berlinback dropped him. And he, in the second round again, and the referee counted 10. And Tiger Flowers, who was African-American from Georgia, he was a, a pastor. He's known as the Georgia Deacon. His team, his cornermen, started to scream at the referee. And the audience agreed with him. And, and Flowers, who was always polite and a gentleman, was getting angry because he said it was, a, it was a fast count. And now people are up in the audience, fights are breaking out, they're throwing stuff at the ring. And Jack Delaney, who's just a participant, he has no official power here, says to the referee, he says, hey, hey, and to the officials, let's not have a riot. We have a riot, we're all gonna get hurt. Let's, if he wants to keep fighting, let's keep fighting. Now people are saying that's really, you know, sportsman-like gesture on Delaney's part. It wasn't so altruistic. And the reason is Delaney wasn't a dumb guy. He knew, he said, I've dropped him three times already in the fight. This last time, you know, he didn't make the count. He thinks he did. He's heavily concussed. And he said to the ref, he's not going to go more than a round or two. And, of course, in the fourth round, he caught him with a right hand on the chin. And Flowers was out before he hit the canvas. He was out a long time, face first. And you know what they say in boxing, when you land face first, you're done. And the postscript is a half hour later, he comes into the dressing room of Delaney and Flowers shakes his hand and says, Mr. Delaney, I want to thank you honestly for being kind enough to give me a second chance. And I just want to say, you convinced me tonight, you're the better man. Don't want to fight you anymore. So it's an interesting story, but Delaney's thinking under pressure helped him win that fight. It helped him win a lot of fights. And in articles you see about Delaney, they always say, his most potent weapon is his brain, which is true. You know, that's a fighter's most potent weapon, his ability to think on, it, it, during the fight and change tactics or strategy immediately to ensure victory. And Delaney was great at that. Delaney was a guy who would come right at you, keep pounding you with the jab, coming over with right hands. But when you came back, he would move back. He'd give you angles. He'd shift back and forth. So... You know, he was a smart guy. He also knew because he was the taller guy, it made no sense for him to duck under punches unless it was a wild punch. 
but he realized that when he ducked at 5'11 and three quarters, he was giving away his height advantage, opening himself up to an uppercut. So he did not do that. So he has the first fight with uh, Berlin back, and he beats him. And then he he beats him again a couple years later. And then Bernal back in the interim beats Mike McTeague. Mike McTeague won the light heavy world title and really a sham of a fight against Battling Siki. Battling Siki beat the hell out of him. But unfortunately for Battling Siki, he was black and that counted against him. Not unfortunate he was black, he was a great man, but he was black. And the fight was taking place in, in Ireland. McTeague was Irish on St. Patrick's Day. So every newspaper, including the Irish newspaper, said McTeague won, or excuse me, said battling Siki won. McTeague lost, but they gave it to McTeague. McTeague has the title. He loses it to Berlin back. And now we're getting a chance. Delaney's going to get a chance to become the first Canadian to ever hold the world light heavyweight title. And he challenges Berlin back and he loses a 15 round decision. He beats the hell out of him. And the newspaper said that, uh, Berlinback was lucky to get out of his life. That that he was groggy throughout the fight. He was knocked down several times, but he staged a furious rally. And in the end, two judges had it uh eight seven Berlinback, and another one had it seven six Berlinback with two even. It's a very close fight. And there were papers that thought Delaney won, but Delaney knew he was the better man, even though he didn't get the title. He wasn't upset. He wasn't depressed or and he wasn't down. He had 11 more fights and just steamrolling over guys. And one of the fights he had was against a guy named Sully Montgomery, which was one of the quickest fights in boxing history, certainly in the light heavyweight division. Montgomery was a former uh, NFL player. And the fight starts and he comes running out face first at Delaney. He's going to do what Delaney does to other people. And as he comes running out, Delaney just moves back, hits him with a right hand right on the temple, and he's out. 20 seconds, fight's over. In fact, the newspaper in the Times the next day, New York Times, said that the referee's instructions to the fighters lasted a lot longer than the actual fight did. So he's going to get a, a rematch with Berlinback for the title. Now, the problem at this time is getting Delaney to train. He, at this time, he's an alcoholic. And he does not like training. When he does train, he goes hard at it. But he was one of those fighters that thought, if I keep fighting, I can train that way. Not realizing that you also have to train when you're not in an actual fight just to keep your fine edge home. So his his uh, manager, Pete Riley, who bought his contract for like a measly $900, and he was the one who made him a star. He's the one who advertised him in all these women mag women magazines and 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 uh, on advertised him on radio and and advertised him to all businesses that catered to women because he was really a sex symbol. And as I said, women would throw themselves at him. So, you know, in his dress room, there'd be a lot of women. When you get back to his hotel room, you know, he was from Bridgeport, Connecticut. That's where his wife and son lived. But he'd get back to the hotel in New York after a fight, and there'd be four or five women lying naked in his bed. And he was incapable of saying no. I mean, he thought, I'm only going to get this chance to be me and to be the world champion. I'm going to take advantage of it. 
And he basically, he depleted himself by doing that. So he gets a second chance to fight Berlin back. And he's very confident. But his manager now has got a problem. His manager has to tell everyone in camp, we can't have alcohol here. No alcohol anywhere. He goes to the local bars, the manager, and just says, you can't serve him alcohol. And the manager wants to buy all the alcohol in all the local bars and then just dump it. But of course he can't, it's prohibition and they have customers. So he's just trying to get everyone he can to go with the program. He doesn't even have rubbing alcohol in camp. He doesn't want to take a chance of Delaney getting drunk. And he has detectives with him and bodyguards with him to make sure he's doing nothing but training. And he keeps saying to him, this is the culmination of your dreams. Now you get everything you want. You become the world light heavyweight champion and the world is your oyster. You can make a lot of money and you become famous. You can go to Hollywood and be in the movies. And Delaney gets with the program and he trains and he trains. And, you know, the the first fight with Berlin back for the title, um, Delaney had a broken right hand. He got into a fight with a railroad porter, punched him, missed, hit this metal grating and destroyed his right hand. But he couldn't tell anyone. And he was drunk at the time. He told his manager eventually, and he still made it a close fight. But at this time, his hands were in good shape. Delaney broke his hands quite a bit during his career. And this is how his manager helped him, because when he broke his hands originally, his manager still purchased his contract from someone else. But his manager was also big into horse racing and had enough money where he could say to Delaney, you know what? The doctor said it's going to take a year to let your hands heal. Let's take the year. Let's do it properly. I have enough money to support you. You don't have to go out and fight and keep breaking your hands. And he was lucky to have someone like Riley. So the title fight that we're discussing today, uh, July 16th, 1926 at Ebbets Field, home, home of the great Brooklyn Dodgers. This fight took place 21 years before Jackie Robinson broke the color line in baseball. And there were 50,000 fans in attendance or uh, as I remember at the Boxing Hall of Fame, I mentioned that, and someone, another historian said, actually, there was 49,994. And I said, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm off by six. I think he can round it off to 50,000, okay? They do that in baseball. And so he's coming into this fight, and he's beaten the class of the division, right? He, he's beaten Jamaica Kid. He's beaten Mike McTeague, Maxie Rosenblum, Tommy Lochran. He's beaten the best fighters, the best light heavyweights. You should look Delaney up because he was all the rage. He was as popular almost as Jack Dempsey. And the fight uh, was was um, promoted by a man named Humberto J. Fugazi. Fugazi, if you know your Italian, means fake, not real. And... Uh, the referee was Jim Crowley, and uh, this was, the amazing thing was, this was Jack Delaney's 74th professional fight. Think about that. He won the World Light Heavyweight title in his 74th fight. I mean, guys today, 20 fights, 21 fights, you know, if you're a flyweight or Bantam, you might get a world title shot in eight fights. This was 74 fights. This was a matter of maneuvering, a matter of knowing your trade, a matter of getting the breaks, uh, 
And it's incredible that he had to wait that long. This is 1926. It's only seven years since he actually began his career, but he's had 74 fights in that time. So he's ready. And he he um he dominates him over uh he just dominates him and you know and he wins the title. He beats Berlin back like he knew he could. He fought like he knew he could. And he's now the light heavyweight champion of the world. He only weighed 166 for the fight. And Berlinback came in at 173. Berlinback, and they became friends after, but Berlinback uh, was a couple inches shorter. He was a former wrestler. He was basically a walk-in slugger and had difficulty dealing, always had difficulty with Delaney's hand speed, foot speed, and superior skill set. And Delaney dominated him. It was packed. Ebbets Field, 50,000 people, many of them women going crazy. And Delaney pulls it off. He reaches the mountaintop, the summit of his dreams. He's the, now he's the new undisputed world light heavyweight champion. He's being mobbed back to the dressing room. Women are literally crawling over each other to get to him. And I can only imagine the wild night he had. They're openly drinking booze in his dressing room. The police are there doing nothing. And this is the high point of Delaney's career and his life. Um, he, he, he had three fights after that, but they were not um, uh, title defenses. He never officially defended the world light heavyweight title. He wanted more, he wanted more money. And at that point, because he was drinking, he was gaining weight rapidly. So he couldn't stay at 175 pounds. And that was all booze that he was putting into himself. And it, it, it was sad. He was a victim of the jazz age. You know, too many women, too much booze, too much excess, too much carousing, too much late night partying. If, if, he, if he was more disciplined like fighters today, you know, who knows how far he would have gone. He may have held on to that title, maintained his weight for a long time. So he has the title. He fights three times. And then he moves up to heavyweight. And at that time, the world champion was Gene Tunney, who was a master boxer, brilliant technical fighter, who had beaten Dempsey twice. And what happened was Jack Delaney was promised a title fight with him if you beat Jim Maloney. Jim Maloney was a run-of-the-mill heavyweight. He was nothing special by any means. He wasn't that good. And Delaney just didn't have it. Its manager suspected he was drunk, but he just didn't have it that night. He was an eight-to-one favorite, and he just barely won around. He took a beating from this guy who he was taller than, but not as heavy as. And he just wasn't himself. He was listless. It's almost as if he didn't care. And that cost him the tiny fight. And during the fight, his manager kept saying to him, you're blowing millions of dollars. You're going to make a fortune. You got to beat, you can beat this guy. And he just didn't have it. He just didn't make an effort, an all out effort to knock this guy out. And so he fights another fight against the, the Basque woodchopper, Paulino Azkadun, who was a very awkward fighter who fought Joe Lewis twice and lost twice. 
Azkadan also beat, I think, Harry Wills, the great black fighter. But he, Azkadan was an awkward fighter from an awkward crouch and would throw punches, hit you in the knee, hit you in the rear end, hit you in the face. And he kept fouling Delaney. Delaney didn't complain. Finally, referee just disqualified. So his next fight, Delaney gets a chance to get back up with the big guys. And he fights Tom Heaney. Tom Heaney was the one title defense Gene Tunney made. And he knocked him out in the last round. Heaney had never been down or knocked out before. And Delaney was physically a taller man. But Heaney just kept on him and kept wearing him down. And he, at that point, Delaney's alcoholism was getting the better of him. And he just wasn't in the condition to go full tilt for 15 rounds. And he's not even 30 yet. But he's worn his body down through through his alcoholism. And so Heaney wins a 15-round decision. And Delaney is distressed. He want, you know, I needed this fight. I had to win this fight. And he, he didn't not try. It just wasn't there anymore. You know, his love for the sport was gone. He'd won his world title. And he thought I can just sit back and cash in on it, but then realized. The bigger money, obviously, is in the heavyweight division. That's where he has to go. And he saw everyone making money. He read about Charlie Chaplin making millions, the mob making billions of dollars, the government making, everyone was making money, all these movie stars, all these writers, uh, um, singers, and Dempsey was making millions. But he was, his attitude was, but I'm not making as much as they are. Right, because you're an alcoholic and you're not, coming into each fight fully trained and fully prepared. If you do, you'll get the fruits of your labors, but he wasn't doing it. So they set him up with future world heavyweight champion, Jack Sharkey. Sharkey holds the distinction of being knocked out by Jack Dempsey and then years later, Joe Lewis. He was known as, his real name was Paul Zakakis. He was Lithuanian from Boston. They called him the Boston Gob, Gob meaning he was in the US Navy. And he, it's a sad fight because they're going to the ring. Delaney has to be helped by his corner to the ring because he's drunk. The audience can see it. The man's visibly drunk. And he's in the corner. Hey, what's going on? And he's hammered. And Sharky says, you know, to his to to uh Riley, to his manager, Delaney's manager, we can't. You're not going to let him fight in this condition, right? I mean, I could kill him, and I don't want to do that. And Riley said he's got to learn. He's got to learn. He's got to pay a price. And and fight lasted a minute and 13 seconds. Delaney didn't throw a punch. He just stood there while Sharky beat him up, and then knocked him cold. After that, he has four more fights, and he wins them all, Delaney. But they're against no hopers, bums, stiffs, and eventually. You know, after that, he, he retires. And it's a wonderful picture of him in Berlinbach in the late 40s, uh, you know, um, with their arms around each other. And you can see how much bigger Delaney was than Berlinbach, and he's much heavier now, too. The sad thing about Jack Delaney, of course, was he died in 1948. He's only 48 years old, and he died of throat cancer. Uh, he had worn through his body, and... Someone asked at the time, could his alcoholism have caused throat cancer? And the doctors then said, we don't know of a link between the two, but being an alcoholic certainly doesn't help. It lowers your ability to fight. 
different things. So uh, he was gone at 48, but in 1992, he was elected to the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And as a, he was known as, I said, the Bridgeport Adonis and uh, in Bright Eyes. There's some wonderful photos of him online, especially some uh, color photos. And the amazing thing to me about him, about Jack Delaney, of course, is the fact that he beat so many Hall of Famers and world champions. It's astounding how many great fighters he beat. And yet no one in this country, um, except maybe Steve Buffery and Murray Gregg and George Chevallo and me, know about him. This man should be on a Canadian stamp, as well as George Dixon and George Gottfried and George Budge Byers and all these other people, Tommy Burns, Sam Langford. You know, because George Dixon, because these are heroes of the prize ring. He's been recognized by the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And here's the thing about Jack Delaney and all these great Canadian fighters that were world champions. When you read about them in books or articles online from reputable magazines, they're always referred to as Americans. And yet they weren't Americans. But when you speak to the people that wrote them, they said, listen, you Canadians aren't going to claim these guys, so we'll claim them. You guys couldn't care less about your boxing history. That's not true. But that's what happens. Delaney was different. Uh, in 1936, he got his uh, American citizenship, and he became an American citizen. He was proud of it. Nothing personal against Canada, but he had no no uh, uh, gumption to come back here. His life was there in Bridgeport. He was immensely popular. He was a well-liked person and uh, just one hell of a world light heavyweight champion. He had everything you want in a fighter, light heavyweight champ, you know, 5'11 and a half, long arms, great jab, great movement, tremendous power in both hands. What he didn't have was discipline. And without discipline in boxing and focus, you have nothing. You know, this is why fighters with less skill, like Vito Antifermo, end up winning the world middleweight title because he was disciplined. He was willing to put the long hours into work. And he fought a guy and he could beat guys that were more skilled than he was, but weren't willing to put the work in. Delaney, if he had put the work in, it's unlikely any of these guys would have beaten him, the ones that did. Berlinback was a different matter because he owned Paul Berlinback. So it's hard for people today to understand, but Delaney was the roaring part of the roaring 20s. His female fans were called the screaming mammies because there would be 10, 15, 20,000 women screaming for him at each fight and vociferously booing his opponent. And so that had to really, you know, and, and when he would take his robe off in the ring, you would hear these 20,000 women swoon. So he was, a, he was boxing's really first true sex symbol and phenomenal fighter and very much a world champion and more people uh, should know about him. Look him up on YouTube. There, there's clips of some of his fights with Berlinback, but there's also some fascinating pictures and fascinating color pictures of him um, that I myself didn't even realize because I have quite a few in him, but there were some that I hadn't seen before. And uh, just an interesting man. The tragedy, of course, is that he died at the age of 48. And, you know, he hadn't really had a chance yet to enjoy his full life. But 
he did in his 20s. When it came to the Roaring Twenties, and they always used to say the 20s was about booze, broads, and music. Uh, boy, Delaney had it all. He wasn't left out. He, he could never say, I didn't get my fair share of everything in the 1920s because no one was a bigger consumer of women, sex, music, alcohol, and life than Bright Eyes. Jack Delaney, former undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world. I'm Lou Eisen. This has been another episode of Ring Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again next Sunday at 2 p.m. Take care. Bye-bye.